Welcome to the Chamber Voice of Business Podcast. I'm Steve Cox with the Rogers Lowell Area Chamber of Commerce, and today we are bringing the Arkansas State House Representative District 96 Candidate Forum. You have John Comstock running on the Democratic side and Josh Bryant as the Republican side of the ticket for the election in November for Arkansas State House District 96. Today's uh, Candidate Forum was moderated by Paul Gatling with the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal, so appreciate him taking time to come and talk with our candidates today. You will notice that you will hear only from John Comstock during today's event as Josh Bryant was invited to attend uh, but declined to participate in today's candidate forum. So please enjoy the Arkansas State 96, 96 District Candidate Forum moderated by Paul Gatling with the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal on today's Chamber Voice of Business podcast. All right, we want to welcome everyone into day two of Benton County Legislative Candidate Forums here hosted at the Rogers Lowell Area Chamber of Commerce this morning, uh, District 96 uh, candidate form between the Democratic candidate Judge John, former Benton County Circuit Judge John Comstock and his Republican opponent, Benton County Justice of the Peace Josh Bryant. Josh was invited to participate in the forum uh, and declined to uh, to appear. So it's just going to be a, a conversation between uh, uh, me and John Comstock. I'm Paul Gatling with the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal. First, Mr. Comstock, just a moment or, or two about why you're running for the office, why you want the job, and if elected, uh, what do you think your legislative priorities uh, would be for your constituents uh, when the General Assembly convenes next year? All right. Well, hey, thank you, and thank you to the Rogers Lowell Chamber, of which I am a member, uh, I'm glad to say, but I appreciate you conducting this forum as well. Um, why am I running? I, I tell people I'm running for the same reason I ran for the State Senate a couple years ago, is because I'm impatient. I'm impatient with, with things that I see happen at the legislature. I do like a lot of people. I, I, I try to pay attention to the news. I read the newspaper every day, the physical newspaper every day, until just recently you've converted me to the, to the iPad, which the day I got it, I started using it nonstop and enjoy it. But I, I, I want to tell you just a little bit about myself first. Just know this, since I've been an attorney since 76, I have uh, uh, worked as a circuit court judge here in Benton County from 2011 to 2012. I got appointed because the judge retired. And since then, I have done two primary things. I do mediations where I help people settle lawsuits that I do about one mediation or two a week. And then about 30 plus hours a week, I do pro bono legal work for people who can't afford legal services. I really am at a point in my life, and I'm, I'm appreciative of it, that I am able to, to help folks in need and be an advocate for others. It's really what I've done really all my life. Even folks, even 18 years when I was an in-house attorney at Walmart, I was advocating uh, for somebody. Why am I running? Because I want to be the single best state representative that anybody has had in House District 96. I, I see it as, uh, legislators call it constituent services, I call it servant leadership, which is a term I really learned from, from Walmart days because Walmart talks about servant leadership all the time, but, but they talk about it in a meaningful way, at least when I was there, they certainly did. And servant leadership is about doing things for, other, for others. Um, I want to do that. I want to be the go-between between a citizen and House District 96 and any government, bureaucracy, state agency, red tape, whatever, and I will dig in. No issue will be too small uh, that, would, that would warrant calling me and trying to get help and attention as they navigate their way through the state, uh, state agencies. 
That's really what I want to do. I want to be a personal advocate for people in House District 96. All right. Well, very good. Well, let's get into a few of the issues. My first question, uh, the obligatory COVID-19 question, maybe more than one here today. The governor and state health officials, they've been out in front from, uh, for six months speaking uh, to the public almost daily uh, up until recently with their briefings and number crunching about COVID-19. Uh, now, earlier this month, a group of uh, about a dozen conservative legislators filed a lawsuit aimed at overturning uh, the governor's state of emergency order, his administration's public health directives, uh, namely the temporary business closures, the mask mandate. Uh, do you agree with the governor's handling uh, of the health crisis these past six months? And if not, what or what could or should have been done differently uh, as it relates to the state's response to COVID-19? Well, I'd say a couple of things. One, hey, believe me, like anybody else, I can, I can point to multiple issues that I disagree with the governor on particular things that he's done as it relates to COVID-19. But across the board, general score, he has done a great job. And we're fortunate to have him really as our governor in Arkansas. I tell people that all the time. Um, we, we could have a very different person in, in, in Little Rock in our governorship than what we do. So no, on balance, I would say uh, I absolutely stand behind the governor. Uh, I will take issue with certain things, certainly. Um, but, um, but I don't want to micromanage an emergency, and this is still a, an emergency. This is a pandemic. Um, my opponent, who's not here, indicated the other day that he, he supported the, the folks that, uh, that contend that the governor has overreached his constitutional authority. That lawsuit, which I've read, I, probably nobody else in this room has read the lawsuit. Maybe you have. I've read it. Uh, it's filled with allegations that say that the governor is, is basically, essentially violating uh, his oath to honor the Constitution of Arkansas, and that everything he's doing is an excess abuse of power. I disagree with that position. You mentioned the Constitution. There are three constitutional amendments that Arkansas voters will decide on in November. One of those is issue one, the highway tax. Uh, would keep a half-cent sales tax for road needs as a permanent tax. Voters approved that back in 2012. It's set to expire in uh, 2023, I believe. The governor supports it, state chambers support it, the trucking lobby supports it. Uh, we've seen the infrastructure benefit uh, firsthand here in Northwest Arkansas, this part of the state, namely the interstate widening. Is this an amendment you support or oppose and why? Mr. Gatling, I have to tell you that, first of all, I think this is a, a, a choice each individual person you know, has to make. Uh, as a state legislator, it, it's past the, my opportunity to vote on it because the legislature is the group that submitted it to the people to vote on. I'm voting no. And, and, and primarily, I'm voting no for the same reason that I told the Northwest Arkansas Business Council two years ago when, when the issue was teeing itself up. Because, number one, I, I, first of all, I don't like the, the way it's being presented to the people as this is not a new tax. It is a new tax. I mean, if, if I mortgage my house and I'm coming up on my very last mortgage payment of, say, $600 a month, and I think in September 1 that's going to be, or October 1 my last mortgage payment, and the bank calls and tells me that, hey, we're going to continue this mortgage payment of $600 a month, not just for a year or two or five, but indefinitely, permanently, would that not be an outrage? It is. And would that not be a new monetary obligation? Because if I'm living according to my budget, I would have already been planning on the fact that I'm going to have those funds freed up. So I would just say this. It's misleading, I think, to say to the citizens that it's not a new tax. It is a new obligation that's being imposed on them that wouldn't otherwise be imposed. 
Do I think our roads and highways and, and all that infrastructure, do we, do we need funding for that? Of course we do. But a constitutional amendment to build in a sales tax, a permanent sales tax into our constitution, I don't think that's what that document is designed to do. I don't think it's a proper way to pass laws. I think it's a reflection of this legislature not actually owning up to their legislative obligations. You know, the lawsuit you mentioned about COVID-19 is all about how the legislature feels like they've been slighted by the governor, that they really haven't played their role. Well, their role when it comes to financing highways and, and, and infrastructure is to do the things they need to do. Vote on a tax if that's what needs to be done and make it a two-year tax, a five-year tax, whatever, and take the political heat from the constituents. But they won't do that. They want to they kick the can down to the people and, and engage in a multi-million dollar campaign that says, this really isn't anything new. Just go ahead and pass it. And by the way, when you read the issue title that people are going to vote on, Nowhere will you see the word that's telling the citizens that what they're voting on is a permanent tax. That, to me, is offensive. Um, okay, we are, of course, heading for an election day in November, which is why we're here. And in the news frequently is not just who we're going to vote for, but how we are going to vote this year. Mail-in voting is a popular topic more than ever before, it seems. Is that a good or a bad thing for the election process? And how are you advocating for your supporters or really just for voters at large uh, about what course they should take this year to cast their votes uh, because of the pandemic? Okay. Well, I would say, first of all, I certainly appreciate the fact that our Secretary of State and our Governor has given a very strong green light to people to tell them that if you are concerned about COVID pandemic exposure and you want to take advantage of our state's ability to do a, to do a mail-in ballot, do that. I'm, I'm appreciative of that effort. What I would tell people primarily is, um, I want to say it's October 19th, I believe, is the first day of over, uh, early voting. I would first say consider that. My family does it as a kind of a routine. Every year um, we try to get together uh, to meet at the, at the polling place to do the early voting, and then we go do a family event afterwards, and we kind of try to make a, a celebration of it. If you, if you go to early voting starting October 19th, right up to the day before the election, um, we've never seen a line. We've never had to wait, you know, to get to vote. So that's, that's I would say that's one alternative. But if that still creates uh, anxiety for you based on your own personal circumstances, absolutely take advantage of the mail-in uh, ballots. You need to do it now, though, because the process, as you probably know, Paul, it works. You have to apply for the ballot first, and then the ballot gets mailed to you. And then you either physically return it or you physically mail it back. But it's not like April 15th when you pay your taxes and you want that tax, that post office stamp, you know, on April 15th. No, getting a stamp from the post office that you put it in the mail November 3rd won't work. It has to be received by the election board uh, by November 3rd. So you've got to be aware of these timelines involved. And I would just encourage people right now, apply for your ballot so you can get it and turn it around quickly. But it sounds like you do have confidence in the overall process of mail-in. Oh, absolutely. with an increased load. Maybe this year. Yes, and, and the reason I do is because I think people have planned for it. I, I think the election commissioners, everything I'm reading about Benton in Washington County is these people have been thoughtful about what is the challenge that's going to be uh, taken. The post office has done the same thing. And, and if I could, on issue one, just make the comment, the one thing that I've not heard from anybody that, that, that also bothers me about issue one, people would say, well, John, here's the money that cities and counties and state will lose. But I would ask, 
Well, has anybody done any pre-planning? I mean, are we putting all of our eggs in a basket in, in issue one? That's the basket. Did anybody think about, well, what's going to happen? What are we going to do different to plan for this loss of revenue if we don't get issue one? And again, to me, that's legislative leadership. Uh, that really was not demonstrated in this in this legislature when they went in my mind That's just my personal assessment when they when they issued uh, when they submitted that issue to the to the citizens Rather than you know taking that responsibility themselves sure going back uh, again to another amendment issue two is the term limits Amendment uh, real, just real quick. Are you familiar with that proposal? And just as a rule do you support or oppose term limits for legislators? Well rule number one is if it's legislative uh, if it's a legislative referred issue, if you don't know anything about it, vote no. That, that's, my, that's my number one rule. Be because the legislature, I, when you look at the issues they present, most of the time it's some self-serving kind of things. Uh, could I, before I respond to issue two, could I make a comment about issue three? Please. The, the one thing I want to tell you is, while they want people to make a permanent sales tax with issue one, issue three which the legislature has given us, is now going to make it for the first time almost impossible to get a, a citizen-driven agenda item to, the, to an initiative act or to a constitutional amendment. So it's like a, a double whammy. We're going to ask you to impose upon yourself a permanent sales tax, and at the same time, we're going to make it harder for you citizens to ever change your mind or have second thoughts about it. That, to me, that, that to me is consistent with the way I've seen the legislature manage uh, issues in, in past years. Okay. Uh, January 1st of next year, Arkansas's minimum wage uh, goes up a dollar, I think from 10 to $11 next year. Do you think the minimum wage should be increased further in Arkansas? And kind of playing off of that question just in general, what role do you think the government should have in establishing workplace policies like minimum wage, paid sick days, paid family, medical leave, those types of things? Okay. Could I first answer your question about issue two that I that I didn't answer? Please. I, I would just say this because I don't want to come across totally flippant in the sense of saying if it's legislative, you know, issue, vote against it. I'm just saying if you all things being equal and you don't know anything about it, uh, the odds are you're going to be better off as a citizen if you don't follow that lead. But I would vote no on issue two, and be, the reason I would vote no on issue two again is because what is the legislature actually doing? They're telling you that it's. It says it's amending term limits. Be transparent. Tell them what you're really doing. You're making it to where you're going to potentially extend those uh, those limits. A, a person is now they're saying you can serve 12 years in a row and then you have to take four years off. Well, first I would say, what are you going to do during that four years? You're either going to work for a for a special interest or with a government job, more than likely. But you know what also could happen? You're going, to, you're going to be a legislator for, for 10 years. You're going to drop out for a couple of years. Then you're going to come back for 10 years, drop out for a couple of years. And you do that indefinitely. So they're not being straight with the people about the fact that this is going to allow uh, perpetual legislators rather than really restricting their terms. And you know why they passed it? Why did it come forward from the legislature? I listened to the legislative debate because they were worried that citizens were actually going to have their own initiative this year, and they thought the citizens were going to come up with an actual restrictive a term, a, you know, an effective term limits, and they said, let's come up with our own so the citizens will see uh, they have a choice and we'll try to persuade them with our money and our influence to vote for ours. That's what happened. They actually got out, outwitted in the sense that the citizens didn't get, didn't get an initiative together, so that surprised them. But your question about minimum wage, Listen, I have paid attention to this issue of minimum wage my whole adult life. 
And I've always heard one thing, and that is that if you increase the wages, you're going to increase the cost of, 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 of labor, and you're going to increase the cost to the citizens. And there, people at the top would try to say that's a negative. What, what I am influenced by, and I do a lot of reading, I read all the time, uh, I, I'm a student uh, still of, of, uh, of, of life and, and, and experiences. I'm satisfied that that is not, in fact, the case. Yes, I would support increasing a minimum wage to, to whatever economists tell us is a reasonable amount, but I don't see increasing the minimum wage as some horrible thing that's going to have all this adverse, you know, negative impact on the economy. Quite the reverse. It, the people that are going to get that increased wage, who are we talking about? We're talking about folks that are struggling to live right now. Listen, they're not going to go stock all that money in a savings account. They're going to spend that money to try to preserve a lifestyle uh, that you and I would take for granted, really, uh, uh, and, and consider minimal. They're going to spend that money, which is going to boost that economy. It's going to generate those sales taxes. So I would say, yes, I'm glad to see that minimum wage. And by the way, who, who, where did that come from? Was that a legislative-initiated issue? No, it was not. That was a citizen-initiated issue, just like medical marijuana was a couple years ago, which, by the way, House District 96 voted for both of those issues in a significant way. All right, so you, you obviously have a passion for being a state legislator, and I would say... Sure. I would say uh, that if you were to win the election, more than 90% of your work will be divided into these three things, education, health, and human services, and the Department of Corrections. Those are a bulk of uh, state legislators' uh, thoughts. So I've got a question relating to one of those areas, and that's prison overcrowding, which is a never-ending debate. Uh, what can we do to free up space in our prison systems when the alternative is spending $50, $60 million on a new facility? Are there policy changes that would effectively ease the overcrowding? Absolutely. And, and, and if I could just take an educational moment for a second, because most people don't know this when I tell them this. Think, when you hear about prison overcrowding and mass incarceration, and you may think to yourself, is that just a play on words? What are people actually saying? What they're saying is, think of this. We in this country represent 5% of the world's population. We represent 25% of the world's incarcerated population. What, what does that mean? We incarcerate at a statistical rate more than China, Russia, or any other authoritarian country, more than North Korea on a statistical basis. How is that? It's because when we launched the war on drugs, which honestly, I, I give it credit whatever you want at the beginning. Right now, it's, in my mind, it's a war on families. When we launched this war, we started in the 60s and 70s. Every, every reform, criminal justice reform, was actually increasing the punishment range, increasing the likelihood of going to prison, maximizing the length of prison terms. Folks, here's what the truth is. We, 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 make too many, we make too much of our conduct criminal in this country. We, we sentence for too long, and we sentence too many people to prison. So are there policy changes? Absolutely. One of them would be, let's make the possession of, of what? Drugs? Certainly marijuana. Let's, let's, as a state, take a leadership position and tell our federal government, get that off of Schedule 1. That, that isn't, you know, we all talk about how we want to respect the rule of law. What do you think, people, what respect do they have when the federal government says it's a Schedule One drug, which, by the way, means that marijuana has no medicinal purposes? That's by definition what Schedule One means. And yet, I don't know, 30-plus states have medical marijuana now, including marijuana. How do people respect a system that, that says those two things at the same time? So, yes, sir, there are many 
policy decisions, but one of them would would be let's reduce the uh, uh, let, let's eliminate the criminal factor related to, to marijuana and related to some possession of other drugs as well because let's recognize that drug substance abuse is a health problem, a, a serious health problem that most often deals with trauma that people have experienced in their lives and not a, a, a criminal conduct. All right, again, speaking with John Comstock, he is the Democratic candidate for Arkansas House District 96. His Republican opponent, Josh Bryant, declined an invitation from the Rogers Lowell Chamber to appear in our forum today. Final thought time now, John, just a couple of minutes to wrap up. What's a topic that is important to your constituents that you want them to know will be important to you in Little Rock if you're elected in November to the General Assembly? How do you plan to promote your candidacy between now and November 3rd? I would say, and it's again, it's a little bit of an influence. Well, well I, 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 Paul, I appreciate that question. It, it, my mind just expands to so many different areas I want to talk about. Uh, I guess I'll touch on one that I think is, that I know for me will be in a legislative agenda, and that is landlord-tenant law in the state of, uh, of Arkansas. Folks don't know it unless somebody tells them, but we have one of the worst landlord-tenant laws in the nation in terms of protecting tenants. We have a law that got passed by the legislature that was called a uniform law, and that uniform law had sections that dealt with obligations of the tenants and the landlords. But no kidding, if you read the statute, you'll see that we adopted the law and where it says obligations of the landlord, and then when you read under the section, we, we, we essentially gutted that provision. But under the obligations of the tenant, of course there's you know 510 obligations or whatever. In this state, we do not have what's called a requirement of habitability. We're the only state in the nation that doesn't. Now think about that, the only state in the nation that doesn't have a requirement that if you're gonna hold out a piece of property as a home or a rental for somebody to live there and their family to live in, you've gotta at least measure up to habitability requirements. I'm gonna to work to get that a, a legislative requirement on, on landlords in the state, and the good landlords are gonna say, bring it on, let's do it. All right. John Comstock is House District 96 Democratic candidate. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your interest in public service. Best of luck on November 3rd. Thank you very much for the opportunity.